Attention radio listeners. Oh, Thomas, get out of town. Wow. Let me have your attention for a moment. Goodness, is that a message? Oh, mommy, please get me out of this game. You are paying any attention. Interesting move here, Bill. Shays came into the basketball game. Jim Beheim has inserted Shays into the game. Big guy inside. Maybe to help eliminate that second or third shot. Well, people in Central New York claim that uh, Roosevelt Bowie. It's the best center Syracuse University has ever had. Your attention, please. This is Centers of Attention. It is Centers of Attention, hour number one of Centers of Attention. I am Paulie Sibylia in for Seth Everett today. I got Danny Shays and Roosevelt Bowie both joining me for two hours today. How are we doing Whoa. this morning, guys? I know that's a exactly. lot of us. If you, if you didn't know any better, you think this is hour number two. What, right. uh, what just happened? Right. I apologize in advance for people that have to hear my nasally voice for for, for two full hours today. Let's get a direct... I accept your apology, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to get directly into Syracuse basketball? There's a lot to talk about with this basketball team. And Elijah Hughes comes up uh, hurt in, the, in warm-ups the other night. And I want to ask you both, what does this team do... He tweeted out yesterday, nothing major. But what do they do if he's out another game or two? Well, when you look at this roster, there is no backup three. And, uh, you know, we've spent countless hours talking about the front line. The, you know, Sidibe gets in foul trouble. Marek gets in foul trouble. Quincy gets in foul trouble. What do they do? Bing, bing, rotate. Uh, we've talked to uh, Joe Girard getting cold. What do they do? They got a couple of freshmen, uh, and then, you know, Howard Washington. Uh, never talked about Elijah Hughes. He never came out. Now you find out that, you know, the not only is the cupboard bare on the bigs once you get past the big three, uh, but there is no cupboard for the three. And so it does, you know, really distort what this team does. First thing you have to do if he's out completely, uh, you either move Buddy down to the three and go small up top, or you bring in uh, Quincy Garrier at, at the four, move Marek to the three. Uh, again, problem is you're now exacerbating your possible foul trouble problem. So uh, it's a tough dilemma because not only you know is he a 40-minute guy, but like I said, there is no, no real plan B that doesn't distort a lot of positions. Well, uh, I, I'm looking at it. Uh, what everything Danny said is is true, but uh, the other thing that I'm looking at is they they got a chance to test it the other day at the game with Buddy down at the three, and it worked out reasonably well. It'll give them another look uh, in case uh, if, if a team is used to chasing Buddy around on the three point line, then all of a sudden they switch him to, to, to playing the three, that puts him in a different position. It kind of messes up the scouting uh, report that everybody else has had from 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 day one. And Syracuse starts mixing up uh, uh, a squad that nobody knows how they're going to play, but they're going to be guys that are happy to be out there playing. And uh, it just creates – I think it's going to be exciting. Could well, it have – Paulie, ha- the other thing, let me yeah. – just to finish up Rosie's point, what it does, it creates opportunities for guys. You have Joe Girard Absolutely. now as essentially the featured scorer now, right, with uh, you know Buddy being the drawn kick guy or the coming off, off picks guy. Uh, you have – uh, Quincy Guerrier being more aggressive, uh, going to the rim. I love that he passed up probably five three-point looks and went to the rim, drew fouls, you know, got things inside. Uh, Sidibe possibly a little more aggressive. Jesse Edwards uh, likely will get some legitimate minutes. Uh, and, you know, I, I've always liked Jesse's game around the basket, uh, depending on who he's playing. He can, you know, he can get you some offense. 
And, uh, uh, you know, and then Bryson Goodine, obviously big question mark, hasn't played many minutes, but again, an opportunity for him to come in and show something. Uh, it, it is great these guys are going to learn, but it's a uh, thrown-to-the-fire type scenario. Uh, he gets hurt against the fifth-place team, and now they've got to play the third and first-place teams in the ACC. Well, that is kind of the, the proverbial deep end of the pool, but uh, uh, what the hell, in for a pound, right? At least you get the... <laughs> Uh, you know, at least you got motivation. You know, you're not going to come in and, and half-ass it. You know, playing against Colgate, so you're <laughs> going to go out and put it on the line. And the other thing is, I, I like uh, what you said before, Danny. I like uh, Merrick Doja at the three. Come on, man, he, that he's in Europe. He's your classic three, where he creates, he can shoot, he can put the ball on the floor, he can, uh, and he's that third long rebounder. I like it. I want to talk about the ACC, too, guys. Uh, Louisville loses to Georgia Tech last night. Syracuse is in a, a, in a pickle right now. This is a, <laughs> a, a, a spot where we're not used to Syracuse being at 14-10 and 10 right now. Uh, overall, 7-6 and six in the league. They're going to need to win a lot of games because everybody wants to talk about that the ACC is down. It, it may be a little more bottom-heavy than normal, and it, it doesn't have... The, the the six good teams that it normally does, but there there's not a lot of opportunity to get good wins in this conference, and they, their chances are, if you don't win one at least of the next two, this team's season's pretty much over. Well, in what regard? Um, maybe going for the NCAA title, uh, but I think you know the fans need to really appreciate this team for what it is. They come in in a huge transition year, losing four starters from last year's team, relying on freshmen at major positions. Uh, you know, seeing Buddy Beheim mature, Elijah Hughes step up, and Marek Dolajai step up. So you know, with a thin roster, basically eight guys, uh, you know, basically eight scholarship guys to go to. Uh, you know, this team has played, uh, you know, I would think in some ways above expectations for what they have. Are they going to be a NCAA top five going into the tournament number one seed? No. Uh, and are they going to, you know, end up NCAA NIT? Hard to say. Um, but the biggest thing is this is really, you know, the cliche, this is a one game at a time team. You look at, uh, you know, this team was in fourth place a game ago. They might be in 12th place uh, after the next two games. And then they, you know, win three in a row, and they're back in fifth. So it's, you know, it's just going to have to play it out one game at a time. It's a tough, tough thing to kind of over project, especially with now Elijah's the wild card being hurt, and uh, mm. <laughs> no idea how many teams are even going to make it from the ACC. There's talk of three. There's talk of four. Makes the ACC tournament, uh, you know, this kind of big thing because you know a lot of teams jockeying for that spot. So uh, you know, it's it's going to be uh, you know dogfight down to the last day. You know, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, Paulie, I'm pretty sure that these guys are going to try to win every game they go right. into. So at that point, so so at that point, it makes it from the media side interesting and curious, and what's everybody going to do? But from the players' point of view, it's business as usual. Go out there, uh, put it all on the line. They need something from everybody. There are going to be phenomenal opportunities for guys to step in and get playing time. And I'm I'm excited about the fact that possibly you'll see Marek Dolajai playing the three with um, uh, Jesse Edwards at the five because 
I don't if you know as well as I do that that high post passing from from big to big, it's up. Bigs know how to do it, and I think it'll be very beneficial for the um, for Jesse Edwards improving his play. And, and Rosie knows what he's talking about because I used to feed him like a newborn when we were playing together. Exactly. We know and, where we want uh, it. I, <laughs> exactly. I want you guys to put your prognostication hats on here really quick as we are doing a, a radio talk show. Uh, the, <laughs> the ACC right now, you, you brought it up, and that's why I'm going to ask you. They may not get more. I, I'm going to say they're getting four teams in. It's going to be hard to leave Virginia out at this point. But after that, they may not get a fifth team into the into the tournament this year. They may not, and that's where the NCAA or the uh, sorry the ACC tournament becomes the wild card because the winner of the tournament gets the automatic bid for the for the conference. So if it's not one of the top three or say four with Virginia, if you count that as the fourth, now you have a fifth automatic team because again they get this uh, you know this wild card bid as the. Uh, as the conference champion to the conference tournament champion, I should say, and then you still have the other four. So, so jockeying for that spot is going to be a big deal. You know what do some of the top teams do? Are they prepping for the NCAA tournament and so not as focused on the conference tournament? Uh, you know where, where does the injury bug play in? Who's desperate for a win? Uh, you know if you look at this team's schedule the rest of the way, right? Right now seven and six, so they've got seven conference games to go. Uh, you know, if they can go, even without one of these next two, go, uh, you know, five and two, gets them to 12 and eight. And in this conference, uh, and however they get there, you know, in this conference, 12 wins uh, is, is actually better than they've done when they've made the tournament, where they came limped in at, five, at 500. So, you know, if they can squeeze in 12 wins, this is going to be a successful year. They'll be at, what, 18 or 19, uh, 19 on the season. That's going into the tournament. And, uh, you know, so whether they're a bubble team, and, and you have to remember that Syracuse's reputation does work for them. Uh, when yes. it comes down to coin flip, you know, to have a, a Jim Beheim and a Syracuse on the bubble, if it's a coin flip situation, I've seen in the past where, you know, Cuse has gotten the nod based on that. And, and, and you know, the fact of the matter is they, you, you can try to pick out everything that you want to, but the NCAA does exactly whatever the heck they want to do. They put the teams in that they want to put in. And the fact that the ACC tournament is kind of interesting down by the bottom, the Danny's, Danny's uh, prognostics that, that one, of the, one of the teams in the bottom can, can throw that Hail Mary, win the ACC tournament because by being bottom heavy, they might come into their, come into their rhythm and all of a sudden rip off three or four games at the end and then, uh, hallelujah, you got something real interesting going on going to the NCAA tournament. I, I will say this. If what you said is right, Danny, they deserved they deserve to be in the tournament if they have twelve wins with five games on the road, two against, you know, top ten teams right. at, at this point, they will deserve to get in. But that is asking a lot out of a team, right? It is, but you know what? There's a lot of what we've asked them we've been surprised by. I mean, if you look at this at the schedule so far, they have Three one possession losses. The Clemson game, you know, was kind of a backbreaker with, you know, them scoring. Clemson scoring with a second to go to win it. You know, that's a big, you know, a big W that you'd rather have. The two early games, Notre Dame and, and Virginia Tech, games just got away, but they turned those around and, and got those back on the road. So this is a team that's played well on the road. They're certainly not intimidated to go on the road and win games. And uh, you know, they've actually we've really seen this team incrementally improve game over game. And yep. now when they get into some of these games, I mean, we, you know, with Elijah out, you know, we thought this team was going to lose by 30. 
to right. NC State. Here they are up six with a few minutes to go. Um, you know, and then uh, you know, NC State makes some shots. We miss a couple turnovers. Boom. You know, we lose a two possession game. So, you know, I don't know that there's a game that we're out of. And then, hey, you know, you you play it out to the end and get a lucky bounce. Hey, Paul, I have four words for you. All right. Bubble team, final four. (laughs) (laughs) That's asking a lot. (laughs) Listen, has it happened before? Yes. With better teams. Has it happened before? Has it happened before, Paul? I didn't hear you. It it has, but not. That bubble team was not in the predicament that this team is. This team's not even on the bubble. They're playing. Hey, they're playing to get on the bubble, Rose. They're still. Listen, they're still hey, drowning in the bathtub. Right, you're saying, yes. Trying to get on top of the bubble. Hey, yeah, listen, they, no, nobody knows what's going to happen, and, and especially the team. Now, the team is talented. You see, you saw how they reacted to losing twenty points per game. They reacted. You know, these guys. These guys. They see that as an opportunity for guys to get playing time, for guys to establish themselves. Hey, it's it's going to be exciting if nothing less. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. I'll give you that, Rosie. This team has been yeah. fun to watch this year. It, it, there's no fan that can be upset with how this team plays. A- after the New York City trip around Thanksgiving, this team has been a lot of fun in entertaining basketball. Exactly. You, you made my point perfectly, Paulie. After the first, what, eight games of the season, ten games of the season after, you're right, the, the New York trip was kind of disastrous. Uh, they lose those two close ones at home. Uh, to start the uh, season, Virginia was a smoke job uh, opening night. You know, this we were saying, oh, we might not even make the NIT. We might not even be 500. We might not win 10 games. You know, and everybody was uh, was jumping ship. And now, if you can't love watching this team, you're not a real fan. You're a bandwagon jumper. No. I mean, uh, you know, so whatever your expectations are, this isn't a NCAA title or bust year. You know, this is a development year. They're going to go as far as they go. You know, this is a Cinderella year, uh, for lack of a better term. And right now they've played into it. You know, like I said, they're, they're three baskets away from being in third place right now. So, uh, you know, this is a team that we're going to, they're going to fight till the end. Uh, and here's the other part. They're really, you know, and you talk about NBA teams, they get towards the end of the season, they're out of it. They bring in their bench guys to get them experience. We don't have any of those guys. Right, the guys we play are the only guys we got. So uh, they're going to fight till the end, no matter what. They're going to fight through the ACC tournament. If it's NIT, they're going to fight to, you know, to the championship game. Uh, and you know, if you're a Syracuse fan, you just got to love watching this team and being a part of it. Agreed. If you like watching this team, you can watch this team play Louisville with Roosevelt, Boot, Lawrence Moten. And Eric Devendorf, we've got another watch party on Q Sports Talk on Twitch. And if you watch along with them. For the Louisville game, which is uh, Wednesday, this coming Wednesday at 7 o'clock, you can also win Syracuse t-shirts. So Rosie will be giving away t-shirts. He's going to actually shoot one of those t-shirt guns at the camera. So I was going <laughs> to just stole my joke, Paul. That was pretty good. <laughs> so he's going to do that, and we will uh, give those away from University Sports Shop. They are in Great Northern Mall and Destiny USA. If you'd like to yeah. talk to Rosie and Danny, you can call us at 315-437-7644. Coming up after the break, I want to get your guys' opinion on something that's it may be blown out of proportion on Twitter, but it's uh the treatment of players by Coach Beheim. Does he does he have teachers pets? Are some paper people bringing them apples before the games to not get yelled at? Uh, Let I want to know if I'm being too subtle. <laughs> I want to find out 
your opinion on whether or not uh, Coach Beheim plays favorites. We'll we'll get that next on ESPN Radio Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk, and on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This uh, is Centers of Attention. Our number one of Centers of Attention. I am Paulie and for Seth Everett today. I got Rosie and Danny with me for two hours today. And guys, uh, I, I tend to try and avoid the internet trolls and, and the people that, uh, that that cause trouble on the internet. But there's something that's blown up all of a sudden on, on the Syracuse side of things on uh, in chat rooms and on Twitter. Uh the fact that uh, Buddy Beheim it's it's a strange obsession that Buddy Beheim does not get yelled at by Coach Beheim. You both have played for Coach Beheim. Does he play favorites to people? Well, I'll, I'll let me put it this way: uh, I think he's such a, a coach's pet that their nickname now is Roosevelt. That's how much <laughs> he doesn't yell at Buddy. Uh, sorry, Rosie, I couldn't resist. I had to sit that one in. Uh, it's actually it's, it's a pretty easy equation, uh, Polly. Coach yells at guys for basically two reasons: lack of effort and knucklehead plays. Those are the two biggest reasons you're going to get the hook, or you're going to get uh, you know get the. Uh, uh, the, the saliva bath uh, and for those two things. So when you look at a guy like Buddy, smart player on the court, you know, works hard. Uh, so the opportunities for him to make a knucklehead play or a, uh, you know, uh, a no effort play are low. Right. Uh, you know, and I joke with Roosevelt all the time, but, uh, you know, how when, when uh, uh, see Roosevelt had a special trick. Like, you know, that thing that husbands do when the wife wants them to clean the kitchen. They screw it up so much. They, they just stop asking. Right. See, Roosevelt mastered that because whenever coach would go to yell at him, he'd like pretend he was deaf or, or he had like a twitch or something. So coach stopped yelling at him and then he'd yell at me every time Roosevelt would screw up. So so Roosevelt could hear it, but he wouldn't get yelled at. Uh, but the reality is, look, Roosevelt was a hustle guy. And, uh, you know, a, a pretty heady player inside. You know, his game was, uh, you know, was defending the rim, low post, and he didn't step out and jack threes. He didn't make bad passes. So the opportunities, you know, to yell at him were pretty low. So that's the buddy situation, right? Hustle plays and knucklehead plays. Those, that's what's going to get you yelled at. You know, I would have to say, you know, from my point of view, uh, you know, Coach would tell me the things that he wanted me to do, and they were very simple. Protect the rim, stay close to the basket, and if I could get a good shot around the basket, that's fine. So I played, like Danny said, I played inside of my, my limitations. I'm pretty sure had I stepped out and popped a three, I'm pretty sure I'd have been sitting over, over there sitting <laughs> on the bench. If I took the ball and I dribbled the length of the court, hey, I'm pretty sure I'd have been sitting on the bench. You learn what the, what the limitations are, and you, and you stay away from doing things you're not supposed to. And then if there's something knucklehead you want to try, you kind of run it by him in practice and see how it goes. Doesn't go so well, you don't do it. I, I'm thinking about it, and I, I sit right next to Coach the most of the game. Uh, it's, is it also a thing where if he expects more out of you, you're going to get it too, whether it's knucklehead play or not? Because uh, I remember Quet the Wayne used to get it a, a lot. And he wasn't known for making mistakes. Maybe it's just, is he also know who can handle getting yelled at and who can't? Well, that's part of it, getting back to my earlier Rosie conversation. And by the way, I love uh, 
Raz and Rosie, so don't <laughs> take it too personal. No, um, I never so did that, notice. <laughs> that's part of it. Uh, but also, Queth was a guy who came in from overseas, was still learning the game. So it's one thing to not make a mistake. It's another thing to not make the play, you know, the obvious play. And so that's, you know, again, same kind of thing, a learning curve. Uh, you know, you should you know, dive at the right time, block out at the right time, when to crash the boards, when to get back. You know, a lot of those subtleties uh, are things that coach expects. And look, this is a top program. This is uh, a, not a program where very often guys learn by doing. They learn in practice, and then they go out and get the opportunity to play. And the more they play, first, with not turning it over, Second, not taking bad shots. And, uh, you know, so don't hurt the team. The more minutes you're going to get. Then you do good things, even more minutes. So that's how Coach generally works. He's known as a not freshman lover. Not because he's not a freshman lover, but because freshmen generally make more mistakes or are more out of position. So, uh, you know, so that's the program that you have here. I played for Doug Moe in the NBA uh, for eight years, who's one of the biggest screamers, cursers, lunatic once the game started coaches. And, uh, and he had the same thing. We used to joke T.R. Dunn was his favorite player, and he used to walk over to Razzam and put his arm around T.R., my, you know, my teacher's pet, my favorite player. And, and T.R. just used to laugh and you know, you know, try and get away from that. But because T.R. hustled all the time, never made mistakes. So there was nothing ever to yell at him about. So, uh, you know, so that's really the, the gist of it. So, and, yes, the more, the more you have to give, especially a developing player, uh, the more he expects out of you. Well, you know, the, the, the Queth Duaney situation, now when uh, I noticed that when Queth scored 10 points or more, Syracuse won. And Queth Duaney from that position, he could, he made it difficult for the, for the big man to come in one dribble from the post to take that jump shot because Queth could block it from behind. Queth could do so many more things than any other player. So to, to settle for letting Queth play like an average player would be, you know, that would be criminal. So, you know, he got yelled at a little bit more than he should have. Uh, as for, you know, me getting yelled at, I, I remember going fishing with Coach Beheim and he, uh, so we're out there fishing and he goes, he goes, man, this is getting tough. He said, some players you can yell at and they, they'll go, okay, I got to get better. Other guys you yell at and they go, oh man, coach doesn't like me. And they get down on themselves. So he said, it's, he's like, man, this is getting hard. It- and, Co- and Rosie would get yelled at and he'd go fishing. So. <laughs> You know, go figure. Uh, kind of the last point, and then and then we can kind of move on from that. You know, part you know the other part of that is that when you have guys like I said who are uh, you know 100 percent focused, young guys coming in don't necessarily even know what it means to play hard on a high D one level. You know, a top ten team level, and so a lot of what coaches getting guy you know getting on guys is to get them to get the like the intensity level is way higher than you're used to coming out of high school or even club ball. And, um, uh, you know, so that's a lot, especially early in the season. He's, you know, he really, you know, chews on guys to make sure they understand what hard work really means. You know, they're on the top of the zone jumping into passing lanes. You can tell the difference between the guy who's just sliding and doing his rotations versus a guy who's hungry, tipping balls, diving on the floor, you know, super energy, super effort. You know, and that's, you know, that extra gear is what he's trying to get out of players. They also, I, I just want to hit one more thing, and it's a really a strange thing that we're even talking about this right now. If you look at this team, the the player, it's is it really getting yelled at? It's it's just, it's kind of just who coach is. Uh, Marek doesn't really get yelled at. He gets kind of more of a "Hey, I'm disappointed in you" type of uh, attitude when he makes mistakes. Whatever and, works. And he also. If you look at it, he doesn't tend to yell at kids that you can't afford to yell at during games. Where like, like you don't want to get in Buddy's head, you don't want to get in Elijah's head, you don't want to get in a Jerry McNamara's head. Well, 
in a game where you need them to take shots. Well, look at Marek's situation, right? Generally, he makes good decisions and he makes things happen. And even when uh, he makes an error, a force, a force pass or something, it's, you know, it's generally an aggressive play. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, but it's, it's an aggressive play and you know what he's thinking about uh, versus a guy who just makes a lazy cross-court pass that gets picked off for a layup. Uh, the other thing is he's, you know, he runs the floor. He goes coast to coast, dives all over the place. So, again, the opportunities to yell at him uh, are pretty thin. Same with Elijah Hughes. Gives you great effort. Uh, you know, and, and you know, if, he may, if, if, the, if one mistake, if you want to go there, if you want to call it a mistake, is sometimes shot selection. You know, he'll get a heat check six feet behind the three-point line, uh, you know, three. But generally, it's, he's made two or three. So you talked about winning the, winning the game situation. Do you make that kind of play? After you just scored eight points in a row, right. then you jack one up from the hash mark, and uh, uh, so you know you don't come. Not your first shot off the bench, but you know after you've made a couple, then you, you you take the extra aggressive play. So you know that's again why those guys don't get chewed on. Dumb fouls, yeah, he's going to get chewed on. Now an- another thing, another thing for uh, look at look at Buddy. I'm pretty sure that when Buddy makes a mistake, he knows he's made a mistake, and he already knows what his dad's going to say about that mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like he makes a mistake. He hears his dad voice his head. He nods his head. He understands. He comes back. He looks at looks looks at coach and goes, "I understand." Because there were there were things that mistakes that I used to make. Like if I if I rushed to throw an outlet pass, I had the nastiest curve. If I short armed it, that ball would take coach behind would have to hit the floor. It would just go about twenty yards and go right out of bounds. So if I threw one, and before he could yell, I'd look at him. I'd be, and I you, know, you acknowledge that you know what you did. And then it's, then it, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'll two-hand pass it or I'll do something else. But if, you under, if he understands that you know you made a mistake, there's no use to yell. All right, I feel gross for even hitting that subject, but it was... No, it's a great it, subject, it's, it's all It's all <laughs> over the internet, and it, it, and it's also just weird. Like, it, like <laughs> I don't know, I just, I find it weird. Yeah. And Danny, you uh, speaking to the internet, we are on Q Sports Talk on Twitch, and you said a commenter on Twitch had a question, so go ahead. Yeah, the question was, is Elijah Hughes underrated? You know, even though he's the... Heart, you know, considered the leading scorer, top one of the top players in the ACC, is he, you know, even a little underrated on this team? And I think that, uh, you know, this is the ideal situation to find out. Is he uh, going to be Drew Bledsoe, where he gets hurt and Tom Brady comes in and 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 he's done, or is are we going to go, man, we we got to get him back in the lineup, right? And I think that's the ultimate test of whether a guy is overrated. And uh, in Elijah Hughes' situation, it's here's the things that that make him so valuable. Number one is he plays 40 minutes, right? So that's a position you have locked in. Clearly, the production on both ends, offense, defense, rebounding, running the floor. Uh, is that all four ends? How many ends are there in the court? <laughs> um, and again, doesn't make many mistakes, plays aggressive all the time. So that's a spot you can count on for 40 minutes. And I think if there's something that, uh, you know, even above the production is, again, that leadership that we talked about early in the year. Is he that guy to step up now with Tyus Battle gone and with uh, Frank Howard gone and, you know, and this, you know, the starting lineup decimated? Is he that guy who's going to be the leader of this team? So, uh, and I think we've answered that, uh, you know, with a, with a big fat yes, that he is that guy. So, you know, so I think that he's almost so valuable you kind of take him for granted. You know, that's how, how much he means to this team. Well, I think in the, as far as the, I think in the country he's under, he's underrated, but on this team, 
just just go look. Uh, what did they had to? They had the Syracuse had to rotate two or three players just to fill the spot, the gap that he left. So I, I don't know if that's underrated. You, to fill the spot, one guy was making, and almost went to a guy for for three guys, and then you have uh, when he plays, it's, he just comes out there and does his thing. So we understand that he's valuable. But the thing about basketball players, my coach told me in high school, he said. When you're starting feeling, you know, that you can't be replaced, he said, I want you to fill a bucket of water, put your fist in it, and when you take your fist out, the hole that it leaves in that water is how long it'll take them to find somebody to fill <laughs> your place. And we all know it never leaves a hole. <laughs> so so here's the other thing. He, it, I don't know that he's underrated. He was, he was ju- he's just an unknown, right? He was an unknown coming into this year because as great as he has been this year, he was at points the fourth option on the team last year. Exactly. And, uh, you know, clearly if this team was in third place in the ACC, getting more national attention, his standing in the conference, you know, leading score one or two, you know, depending on the game and everything else he brings to the table uh, would be a bigger deal. So, uh, you know, so, so to kind of get into your point, when you're, uh, you know, a star player on a team that's not one of the talked about teams, you know, you don't quite get the same pub that uh, you're the star player on Duke or Louisville or, or uh, you know, Michigan's getting right now. And and I think uh, you stay, you get better for the next year. Even though your numbers drop, you become that player that's the glue. You're a, you're a team player. You get you can still get your numbers up. They know you're important. It's your team. I think it makes you more valuable as a player the next year. Also, this team has uh, you could consider three guys underrated. If you're going to consider Elijah Hughes underrated, Buddy Beheim and Marek Dolajai are also underrated. And you've got two guys in Marek and Buddy that could be in the running for most improved player in the ACC. Exactly, and Joe Girard is freshman of the year possibility. You know, he's a guy near the top in assists, uh, so, you know, scoring the ball more. And so this team does have a lot of parts. You know, they're slowly bringing them together, slowly gelling as a team. We've seen them play much better from when they were losing one-possession games to now, you know, more often than not winning one-possession games. Uh, even with Elijah out, you know, they hung in until the end. So, uh, so this is going to be a fun team to watch, and I'm really excited to see how they peak towards – uh, the end of the year, fingers crossed, no more bumps and bruises. Yeah, you know, the thing that I that I really, really like is that, you know, Coach has been saying all along, hey, uh, we've been working hard in practice, and these things are going to, you know, work themselves out. And lo and behold, it's almost amazing, Paulie, but things are starting to work themselves out. Guys are getting in the game. They're playing better. They're showing that they deserve to play. They're getting more playing time. They're right now they're trying not to make mistakes as they get more comfortable. Guess what? They're going to go like, "Hey, wait a minute. Let me try this dunk here." Oh, that felt good. Let's do two or three more. You know, the the thing the light, the thing is once the light comes on when guys are playing and they're out there and they're like, "Okay, I've been out here for a while. Nobody's, you know, I've done anything stupid. Let me go and do things that I know how to do." And uh that's when the light comes on. That's the difference between one year and the next. With these guys getting thrown into the fire, is going to give them a chance to find out what they can do this year. Exactly, because one thing is, Paulie, with the, because the short roster with Elijah out, that's like 40 minutes that basically has to come from somewhere. So now maybe a Bryson Goodine gets in, and instead of playing don't screw up, now he's in, now i got to make something happen, right? He's not looking over his shoulder to see if he's going to get yeah. the hook after every play. Same thing with uh, you know, Howard Washington coming in. You know, he can, can afford to be more aggressive. He's not going in with the mindset, I'm just spelling uh, Joe for three minutes, uh, don't screw up. Right? So now guys know they got to come in and step up. Joe Girard going for 30 the other night. Right? We saw him making offensive plays we hadn't really seen him make. Uh, before being more aggressive going to the basket. So there's opportunities on top of the fact that, yeah, you're missing your star player. 
you know, there's one thing that I wanted to make a point of. Also, I want you to imagine, okay, Joe Girard making those moves from the center spot, Danny, like right in the middle where everybody's watching him, you know, he's controlled. Imagine him making those moves from the two spot after somebody already tries to penetrate and they flip it to him. All of a sudden, everybody's turning their head and they're going, oh, crap, here comes another one. I think right. it would be more effective from there also. Well, that's another point. If Buddy's at the three, Joe's at the two, now he's a scoring guard, right? At the, uh, when he's playing the point, he's bringing the ball up against pressure, you know, using energy there, and then having to get into you know, to the rhythm of the game. So it's either give it up and try and get it back, which can be tough, or you know, just put his head down and go all Allen Iverson on him. So, uh, so I think this is a case where if he does play some at the two, you know, getting those kind of, if you want to say those Buddy picks, the Buddy Beheim picks coming off screens mm-hmm. on the weak side, you know, he can also be a deadly scorer from there. All right, let's take another time out. You guys were talking off-air personally between yourself about the NBA All-Star lineups, and I found it fascinating, you guys breaking down the lineups and who you thought uh, was a better team. So we'll take a break from SU. When we come back, I want you guys to have that discussion again. We'll take a look at the All-Star rosters and have you guys break them down and who who you think put together a better team, uh, Giannis or uh, LeBron. So we'll, we'll do that next on ESPN Radio Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk, and on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention. It is Centers of Attention. Coming up at noon today, live from Atilio's, we have the Alan Griffin Show. So if you'd like to head out there, grab a bite to eat, listen to assistant coach Alan Griffin break down the orange with Seth and Steve, you can do that. I'm going right now. All right, they got great grub there. So if you if you do head out, uh, go get some food, enjoy yourself. It's a good time at Atilio's, and there might even be a little surprise today. So uh, I, I like to surprise Caesar. Yes. Does it have to do with Rosie and a t-shirt gun? No, that- no, very close. <laughs> very close. I have say, a- you know, in- Seth pretty, or uh, Polly. Pretty soon, we're going to put on our our uh, virtual reality glasses. Right? <laughs> Rosie will shoot the t-shirt gun and we'll get smacked in the head with something and a, and a t-shirt will be in our lap. We're like, how the hell did that happen? Uh, the year before Rosie started doing the basketball games uh, with me back in the day when he was doing the, the, the play-by-play analysis of the games, we were at Madison Square Garden and uh, Dave Hammond, who is the son of Tom Hammond, was in Rosie's place at the time. And the one of the St. John's cheerleaders was not paying attention and was running around with his finger on the trigger and accidentally fired that T-shirt gun, and he hit Dave Hammond square in the face while we were on the air (laughs) from, from about 10 feet. And it knocked his headset. Those things come out of that quick. It knocked his headset clear off his head. And Dave Pash and I, I don't think, could talk for 10 minutes because we were laughing so hard at what had happened. Those things are dangerous. So, Well, they, I mean, they get all the way to the upper deck. So, yes. yeah, they're 10 feet away. That's, uh, it, that's catching a cannonball broke, in your teeth. Yeah, it broke his glasses. It knocked his headset <laughs> square off his head. I am going to now independently wealthy. Yeah, I'm going exactly. to. I'm going to hand. He survived. I am going to uh, uh, hand this off to you guys because of uh, I, I found this fascinating. You guys were breaking down the lineups to the All Star NBA All Star game, which is uh, this Sunday. Uh, you can catch that right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. So I'm just going to let you guys discuss uh, the two uh, teams. It's not West and East anymore, so I'll let you guys break it down. In, in theory. Uh, what's interesting is the NBA All-Star game over the last several years was getting kind of boring, 
What do I mean by that? It, you know, in the, in the 80s when you had Bird and Magic and, and, and Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, Carl Malone guys playing, they played to win. And it was literally watching like the dream, dream team play the dream team. And they fought, and they, you know, everybody got involved. Then it got to be like a dunk contest. Then it got to be, you know, so bad nobody guarded anybody, and you know the scores were 196 to 185, and the fans really got kind of fed up with it. Um, so they made a change in the format. Instead of going East versus West, they they voted on all the All Stars. Then they picked captains to pick the team. So in this case, it was LeBron James, the top vote getter in the West, against Giannis, the top vote getter in the East, and they did a draft essentially. And ironically, as we started putting the teams together, LeBron drafted almost all guys from the West, and Giannis drafted almost all guys from the East. So it's almost back to East versus West. So we're, you know, Rosie and I were just joking. I don't know if it's that you know he's comfortable with guys he plays with and against, or you know maybe the chance to play with guys he competes with is. Uh, uh, you know, on a daily basis, because of course the schedules are weighted more in your conference. Uh, but Team LeBron looks tough, man. You got you got Anthony Davis, of course LeBron's teammate, Kawhi Leonard, reigning MVP, Luka Doncic, who's the you know lot you know right now being discussed for this year's MVP, uh, James Harden, leading scorer, uh, Damian Lillard, lighting it up. You know, and you just go hold down the roster, and all guys from the West except Ben Simmons, and. Um, Jason Tatum from the Celtics. Then the then you go to Team uh, Giannis, and they went big. They got Joel Embiid. They got Pascal Siakam from the Raptors. Uh, and uh, you know, as you look at their Kimball, uh, or, you know, Chris Middleton, uh, Bam Adebayo. So they're Rudy Gobert, the the Stifle Tower, still one of my favorite nicknames, <laughs> uh, being from France. And so they so they went big, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out. But it's kind of East versus West again. Yeah, you know the the, the cool thing about it is. Uh, to be able to see, you know, what works the best, you know, if bigs can actually play, play in a game and, and handle their own with, uh, with with the smaller players. But the one thing that we always got to keep in mind in, in nowadays, are they did they put those teams together because they're looking, uh, they're trolling for players to come and play with them? Could be, in the again, future. Ooh, nice conspiracy theory. There. <laughs> yeah, if you're getting to know I'm guys, I know, I know. It's a good, it's a great point. But uh, what's funny is in today's era, which is supposedly centerless basketball, right? Every yep. toe in the three-point line, even the bigs. You've got Team LeBron. You got Anthony Davis. You've got um, uh, Demontis Sab- uh, Sabonis, uh, uh, Arvidas' son, who played in my era. Uh, you got uh, Jokic from the Nuggets, uh, you know, so they've got three, at least three bigs, and Giannis has, I think, four bigs. So, really interesting how in the in the in the league with no centers, they're pretty loaded with centers. That's you know that's a good thing to see because Etan and I we talk all the time about how they're disrespecting the centers, not putting them out there on the court, and I, I think that it, rather than they're they're trying to prove to them that you don't have to like disrespect the center, just you know get the centers to, uh, for me it's allowing centers to take more three pointers. Man, I wish I could lace them up again. That's that's that, that's a couple shots a game where I don't have to get a bump on my head when I take them. So it's going to be interesting to see how how it works out, and uh, and I'm sure that. It, <laughs> When the, when the bigs went out over everyone, then we'll be talking about that the next day. Well, the other thing about the three-point line now, that because teams take, what, half their shots-ish from the three-point line, Rosie would be loving it because there would be that many more rebounds. It's clearly yeah. a lower percentage shot than, you know, in our day when it was inside out. So, you know, a lot more rebounds, a lot more long rebounds for, the, you know, the quick bigs to go get. And, you know, the, and the funny thing about it, if it, with the, with the with three-point taking like that, there's not enough time for everybody to turn around, 
like when it's a short shot, everybody's standing right next to one another. So if it's a long shot and I start from far, you start from farther away, there's not the time to actually find the big to locate them, so it, it plays right into the hands of a quick big guy. Exactly. Now you look at some of the other events they have going on. You've got the All-Star Saturday Night, right, which is the three-point contest and the slam dunk contest and the skills challenge, you know, that obstacle course. Uh, so one interesting development, Zach Levine for the Bulls, two-time slam dunk champion, is now in the three-point contest. So he's kind of, I think, graduated from the dunk contest. Uh, in the dunk contest, Dwight Howard is back. You remember he won it, what, 10 years ago with his Superman flying, and, uh, and he says he's been training hard, lost 15 pounds, getting in shape, working on his trick dunk, so that should be exciting. Of course, Aaron Gordon for the Magic, who uh, you may remember, what, four years ago now, had that epic dunk contest with Zach Levine, came down to the last dunk, and most people thought Aaron should have won, where he had that 360 with the, if you remember, the Magic uh, mascot on one of those boogie boards doing circles, and he took the ball out of his hand under his legs and dunked it. I mean, incredible stuff. So I'm really looking forward to the dunk contest. Uh, Skills Challenge actually got some bigs in it. Uh, Bam Adebayo, the Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum, and Sabonis is in it. So they're going bigs against smalls. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting twist. Again, trying to make it uh, you know, something a little more fun. But, of course, no game is complete. No All-Star Weekend is complete without the celebrity game. And, oh, you uh, tell me you have the roster of the celebrity. I got the roster. It's oh, team, yes. It's yes. Team Stephen A. Smith against Team Michael Wilbon. Okay. So uh, they're the captains. And uh, it's kind of evenly divided up between rappers actors, comedians, and even an owner is playing in the game. So uh, so this is going to be – and a few former players, Darius Miles is playing in the game. Uh, and, oh, this one, you remember the UCLA gymnast, uh, Caitlin Ohashi, who did that perfect 10? Uh, yes. Do you remember this a few months ago? Went viral, millions of views. She did a perfect 10 floor exercise to win the NCAA championship. And uh, – uh, she a viral sensation. She's playing in the game. Uh, my guess is she's a point guard because she's probably like five foot one. Uh, Chance the rapper. He's uh, probably starring on one of the teams. Uh, let me see who else do we have. Oh, Common is captain of the of the team Wilbon. And uh, so yeah, so that's gonna be fun. No Justin Bieber this year. So you 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 know I think just you name people. I have no idea who they are, but you've got a you've got a son in high school, so you know who these oh, exactly. guys are, and right? Of course, yeah, so. And of course, Team Wilbon might have the advantage because they have Bad Bunny. Uh, on the team, Who? so it's a it's a uh, a reggae artist. So, uh, so we're going to look for Bad Bunny going inside, maybe getting twenty. Can so I? It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun. That's always a fun game because actually, you know, the 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 players, you know, you know, BS with the fans and they go up and down and talk smack to each other. So I want to give one so, yeah, so before a fun game. before we take a break. I want to give one All Star Game hot take that I cannot understand this, and I'll probably get killed for this. How the heck is Kyle Lowry a six-time All-Star? Is he like either the quietest good player in the <laughs> league, or is he over? Like, is I don't get it. I, I okay, don't get it. Here's how. Here's how you don't get. It. I'll tell you exactly why. Okay. Name me three guys on Toronto. Well, now, See, yeah, well, Siakam do- and <laughs> Lowry. <That's true. laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you can't name them because they don't really get pub, even when they're good. They barely get pub because they're in Toronto. So that's why he's the quietest six-time All-Star that uh, you've ever seen. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, we got John Gillen coming up, uh, if we can figure out how to make international calls, uh, which should be interesting for me to try and figure out. And uh, we will talk more Syracuse basketball on next on ESPN Radio Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. 
Attention, radio listeners. Ooh, Thomas, get out of town. Wow. Let me have your attention for a moment. Goodness, is that a message? Oh, mommy, please get me out of this game. You aren't paying any attention. Interesting move here, Bill. Shays came into the basketball game. Jim Beheim has inserted Shays into the game. Big guy inside, maybe to help eliminate that second or third shot. Well, people in Central New York playing at uh, Roosevelt Bowie. It's the best center Syracuse University has ever had. Your attention, please. This is Centers of Attention. This is Centers of Attention. Hour number two of Centers of Attention brought to you by Fusillo Automotive. Guys, we got we're, we're behind a break, so let's do a quick segment right here. Uh, Jameson. Are you saying Rosie talks too much? <laughs> always. Jameson Winston oh. coming off of a 30 interception season, guys. 33 touchdowns, 30 picks, has LASIK eye surgery. Do you think it's going to, ch- he can actually see the defenders now? Do you think that'll help him improve his game? Well, it really does make a difference if you can tell your guys from their guys. I mean, that that really will help his game. Uh, Paulie, how's this look? I, 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 no, it I apparently, it th- it's Jameis Winston. I apparently had whiskey on my mind. I don't <laughs> exactly. know why I said Jameson. You know, it just it, I'm a it, drunk. It, to my to my uh, you know his agent, you know, kudos for coming up with an idea to get people to consider him <laughs> and give him more money. <laughs> uh, it would seem to me like it's kind of an impulse he liked to take risk and throw in, in situations that he shouldn't. Uh, hey, listen, get some LASIK eye surgery and tack on a couple hundred thousand to his contract. There you go. I that, that can't possibly work. Right, well, all, all it it's not base, it, it's not baseball. Like I can see where LASIK would help a hitter. He he's throwing to giant men. Like you're you're gonna be able to see him. Right? Well, look, you remember when Tiger Woods had LASIK because he wore contacts, and every time he come out of the sand trap, you know, sand would fly up in his contacts, and you have to spend twenty minutes getting all the sand out of his eyes. So I don't know if it's the same kind of thing where you're playing football with contacts and grass and stuff is you know flying all over turf and. You know, you get all this the crap in your eyes. So it could be something as simple as that. All right. We'll take another quick break. We will, uh, this will be a longer break, and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk to John Gillen, former SU guard who uh, hit some big shots in his one year at Syracuse. We'll get uh, his thoughts on this current team and what he's up to now next on ESPN Radio Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk, and on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention. Back after a long break there, caught up on the Bills. <sighs> Guys, uh, having a little issue reaching John Gillen. He's uh, overseas, so it might be in practice still. We'll try him in a minute. Yeah. While... I hit on a subject that is blowing up on the internet about Buddy Beheim and Coach Beheim. It's almost as if he's his son or something, and they like each other. Uh, I also would like to hit on the uh, the bad officiating that is blowing up the internet, and it's got, it's gotten stuck in Rosie's craw too. Apparently, uh, that uh, Syracuse seems to be on the... I, I don't know if this is true or not, Rosie. So you, you're taking us down a wormhole. Listen, that Syracuse is getting bad calls this year? Is that what, what you think? or is you it? Know what? I don't I don't want to take you down a wormhole, but let me paint you a picture. So for, for uh, 21 years that I played, nobody... You were told never to say anything about the referees. They don't exist because you can't make them change the call or anything. And I said, so that I could live with that. Then I Now that I stopped playing and I'm on the other side and I got a microphone, 
who better than to, you know, make things obvious? You know, the, the obvious point that, that came to me, you know, from my upbringing is the referee made a call. It was obviously wrong, and it was, it was seen to be wrong. And at the point, he realized it was wrong. And then he uh, basically called Merrick for a technical for pointing out that he was wrong. How old is he, 16? I mean, come on, give me a break. Well, you can't show up the ref on the court. Well, you can't. Why not? Every in every other. Th- that's every like other the golden part, rule. Every other side of life, when you do something stupid, people point it out. You know why? Why should this be any better? And then you got so then so now you've got fouls that they can. There's different levels of fouls that players can get called for. Why not make different levels of screw ups that referees can do so they can be so they can be monitored and and and, and it cracks me up when they say after he makes a mistake. He's such a, you know, he's, he's, he's called all these great games. And I'm like, yeah, but he just screwed this up. So will he continue to call great games? Well, the other part, too, Polly, is that it was a key part of the game. Uh, and it was one of those kind of unnecessary calls, right? It, you could have, you know, given him the, the stink eye instead of teeing him up. Uh, and that's a relatively new rule, by the way, that a technical foul counts as a personal foul. Didn't used to be that way, right? Either on the college or the NBA level. That's something they actually took uh, from the international game. And yep. uh, so that was a, you know, kind of one of those, uh, you know, fall through the crack rules, right? Where you, know, you get fouled out on a play that really didn't deserve it, is Rosie's point, especially after, uh, you know, we already had the other two bigs out. Uh, you know, it was, it was a key turning point of the game. And, and it's something that, uh, again, probably unnecessary and should have been fixable once you realize that, uh, you know, the, the, the outcome of the call was way more than was justified by the play. Well, isn't it also a case where Marek, he played international basketball, should know better in that situation? Well, well he listen, didn't say anything. We, he just pointed at the scoreboard. Exactly. A natural reaction, right? It's, you know, I'll, I'll take you back to you know, kind of another scenario. When, when teams get into, a, you know, get into a, a pushing match, shoving match, you know, that kind of thing, NBA is super strict that if you step onto the court from the bench, you're tossed. Right. There's no appeal. There's no nothing. You step out of the court, you're tossed. Well, it's a huge disadvantage when the thing happens right in front of your bench because your natural reaction is to jump up and help your teammate. When you're the team at the other end, you don't have that reaction because you're 90 feet away from the play. And so we've, we've seen that happen in critical games, playoff games, for instance, where a guy will get into a, you know, into a scuff and the, you know, the closest guy just out of habit, just jumps up and one step out of the court and goes, "Oh, sorry, I, I didn't want to do that." Boom, you're tossed. You know, it's and so there's plays like that that just are 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 beyond what uh, you know the situation calls for. Now I'm going to paint a picture for you. Okay, the game starts. You're in the heat of the game. You're out there. You're trying to eat the other guy that you're playing against. You're aggressive. You're being you're being physical, and then. All of a sudden, a play happens, and you got to go. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to point at the screen. Well, you got you got to put on your pleated dress and act like a sissy. I, I mean, come on, you're you're out there to be aggressive. He didn't curse at him. He didn't. He just pointed up. He just pointed up at the screen. Yeah, I mean, it's there. There was a referee when we played. Uh, Dan, you remember uh, uh, Dick uh, Slumkowski, tall guy. Okay. Yeah. The game would start. The game would start out, and naturally, I would come out there and I would try to beat my man into submission in the in the first thirty eight seconds. And he would walk over to the bench, and he would go, "My timeout." He'd walk over to me and the other guy, and he'd go, "Okay, you two yahoos out here trying to act like you lost your mind. I'm gonna get. I'm I'm giving you a chance to stop, or I'm gonna call two fouls on both of you, and you'll sit out the rest of the half." And I went, and we'd go, "Okay," and we'd go back, and he said. End of timeout. We go back. We play basketball. 
Mm-hmm. All he had to do is just look over to him and say, listen, don't do that. It's not good. It doesn't, doesn't work for you. Here, here's a question for you guys. It's easy for people online and us right now on the radio to critique the refs in 2020. When you, I'm, I'm not calling you guys old, but when you played, it was a different time. Now every play is broken down on, in slow motion, and you know if if that call had happened and there was, you know. When you guys were playing, nobody even knows it was the wrong call. He's not you pointing at the screen. But, but Pauly, it's so easy to do this but, now. But, 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 but Paulie, when you uh, the fact that I'm making is not pointing at the screen or getting a te- is getting a technical for something he screwed up on. He knows he screwed up. He knows he was not a bounce. And then he and then he, and he's, they're going to be, you know. And it, it, the crazy thing is that I never said anything when there was a technical call. When there was when it, when something was called, never. I got two technicals once because I went, <sighs> and another time because I, I just stomped my foot and turned my head. And they said, it's because of your personality that you never say anything. When you make a gesture towards us, it's like screaming or yelling. And I'm like, well, hallelujah. I don't know what the rules are, but if if they <laughs> this is my, if they don't put that up on the screen, Marek doesn't get a technical, right? You know, no, it's funny. why would See, they do that? Era, in our era, Paul, you talk about you know the good old days. Uh, when I first came into the league, there were two refs. Of course, now there's three. So you could get away with a lot more, especially under that weak side block. You know, shot goes up. Uh, every yeah. team had an enforcer, that big four-man, you know, the Maurice Lucas guy, the Rick Mahorn guy. Every team had an enforcer uh, that would, you know, they'd fight for position on that block. And so you get away with a lot. And But the refs had a different type of control of the game because they didn't have all the tools they have today with, uh, you know, with instant replay. See, the refs now with instant replay, they, they don't have as much pressure to make the call right because they can go look at it, right, which didn't exist in our era. And so the refs had a different, you know, they were, they were, there was more swagger, there was more, uh, you know, kind of they were part of the game in a different way, right? And so, you know, very few players uh, would yell at the refs. The one that really comes to mind was Moses Malone. And Moses, if, if you remember him back in the day, he kind of mumbled when he talked, and he wore a big, heavy mouthpiece. And so when he'd get mad at the refs, he'd go curse him out, but he'd mumble, you, you, gotta, you can't call that on Big Mo, and he'd talk about himself in the third person. <laughs> you can't talk about Big Mo like that. You can't, you're going to call that on Big Mo. <laughs> and, and so one time, he's MFing the ref and this and that, and the ref's just staring at him, and they knew not to escalate, right? And I, I walked up to the ref after I said, how can you let him talk to you like that? He goes, uh, well, you know, the way he talks, I didn't really understand what he was saying. <laughs> and I said, here, let me translate for you. What he said was, you're a dumb MFer, you should never make that. You know. And uh, so we had a big laugh over it. But, uh, you know, but the refs knew to let that stuff go because you had these guys who were in the heat of the moment. You know, like I said, they had a different kind of control uh, over the game. And, uh, you know, now it's, uh, uh, you know, they weren't as sensitive about stuff. They still, they always had the ultimate uh, control because they had the whistle. Right. And and you knew who the vindictive refs were. You couldn't say anything to them because they'd nail you on the other end. Right. And they can always find something to get you for. Uh, So there was more of a, you know, I don't know, gamesmanship. You know, the refs know their style. Uh, Like there was more of a part of the strategy. You know, when we used to do our scouting report before the game, uh, part of the scouting report was the refs. 
Yeah. You know, the, the ref, you know, the, you, the, they'd have somebody watch the refs come in because they never announced it beforehand. You didn't know, uh, there's no, there's no schedule, public schedule of who's refing what game. So you'd have to see when they walk in the building. And then part of the scouting report was we got Jack Madden tonight. He's uh, this or that, mm-hmm. or we got Steve Javi. You can't say anything to him. Uh, you know, and so you got to know the guys. And that was, you know, that was part of the, like I said, that was part of the team scouting report. Now, Paulie, the thing I wanted to make sure is it's not, Players, as players, we do not care if the referee is is makes all the great calls or if he makes all the bad calls. We don't care. What we care about is consistency. Because if they're mm-hmm. consistent, if they're consistently bad, that's just, that's fine too. Because you can adjust your game to how to play. But you can't call one thing on one end of the court and something on the other end of the court because you will lose control of the game. And thank goodness that the Syracuse players are educated enough not to go out there and start taking stuff personal i mean you've got to you've got they've got to be when they when you do something wrong somebody's got to say something about it and i'm so glad that i have this microphone here that i can do it because just so just so you guys nobody knows this i'm going to give you a little uh it's this first time it's being told the last game that i played i played in switzerland and the northern swiss speak german and the southern swiss speak italian but when you go there to play, they pick certain players that will play in a game that will not finish the game. They, that's just their choice. So my teammate says, so, so we're playing in, you're playing in northern Switzerland and I'm playing against this guy and I'm seven foot. He's like six, six. I catch the ball, drop step, dunk. He calls me for trout. I catch the ball, spin to the middle of dunk. He calls me for three seconds. And I turned and I looked at him and I said, I'm going to score 25 today. You can't, you can't save him. Fast forward to the end of, to the last game of my season. I'm retiring after this game, and the referee comes out. And now, mind you, I but that game I fouled out. I got 25, but I but I fouled out with like uh, six minutes left. So, fast forward to the, my last game. We're playing, and he uh, he starts out first foul, second foul, and I walked over to him and I told him in English, Spanish, and Italian. I said, if I foul out of this game, you're in trouble. In so many words. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. I, I'm going to take it out on you. I said, because I'm retiring. And then he comes down. And then I, at the next foul shot, I looked at him. I said, oh, and by the way, I'm not going to wait until after the game. When you call the fifth foul, I'm just going to grab you and start mopping the floor with you. The next play, guy comes down the middle. I clothesline him, and he's looking up at the, and he's looking up at the ceiling. There's no call. So the next foul shot, I looked at him, and I went, sissy. <laughs> but it felt so good. So to be able to talk about them now, hey, it's it, it, it it's not being spiteful. It's just things that we notice. Danny, I can't I, tell me if if you haven't noticed the same thing. Well, it's, it is interesting because look, players know that generally the more aggressive team gets the calls. Right in our, in our day, they talked about the Jordan rules, right? And Jordan would get certain kind of calls, and there were star, superstar rules. Uh, you know, Jordan would get the extra half step on the walk, Magic Bird. They'd get that drag your foot wasn't called, and um, you know, even physical play inside. There was stuff Kareem got away with that I didn't, and that was, and there was a star system, and everyone knew it, and they it wasn't even controversial. Because, you know, you said, good, I want to be the star so I get all the calls. <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, so that was just part of the game. And I had a different situation in that my dad, for five years, was the supervisor of the NBA officials. So he hired oh. a lot of the officials that officialed my game, refereed my games. 
And I remember one time we were here in Denver playing a game, and I got a couple of bad calls, and I, I'm running back on defense. My dad's leaning over the scores table. He came out of the stands. <laughs> he's leaning over the scores table. The ref runs by. He goes, I never should have hired you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks, Dad. I didn't get a call for two years from that guy after that. I, I don't want to sound like an old curmudgeon, but uh, – it- I, I just thought of this. At the NCAA tournament, they don't put those replays up on on the board. You know, mm-hmm. uh, close calls. Is that a rule maybe the ACC should be looking into? Like, should they, should they be fanning the flames at any arena by well, putting those calls up on the arena? It is. Uh, it's a tough thing because the fans kind of expect it in today's internet age. Right, you go to right. your phone, you see the highlights, right? Or you're watching the game on TV, they're showing 50 different highlights of it. So, so the fans kind of expect that. But you see it. It's not just a not just the basketball thing. You go to certain baseball stadiums, and they won't show any play at the plate or any play that's a you know a close play at any of the bags because they don't want to have the officials look bad, right? One way or the other. And um, even though once you you know if you call games, right, when you're actually doing play by play or color in, in mine and Roosevelt's. Uh, position, you realize that most of the time they get it right, and if you know you can you can spend your time bitching at the calls, or you can actually play the game, right? And so the reason that coaches don't want players thinking about the refs too much is just another thing to get in their head trash that keeps them from focusing on the game. So you know, leave the refs out of it. You know, I had my high school coach used to tell me that look, referees referee, players play, coaches bitch. That's how it's supposed to work. So you just play. Don't worry about the refs. You know, and uh, you know, let let the coach worry about it. All right, you know, having, you know, Paul. Having said all this, I as a player, I never saw a ref change a call. I'm sorry, I saw a ref change a call twice because he pointed the wrong direction. <laughs> right. That's it. So they don't change anyway. So. All right, let's take another time out. We'll come back. We'll we'll do our quick hitters and hopefully maybe get a hold of John Gillen. We'll keep you posted on that next on ESPN Radio Syracuse and Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk, and on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention. Hour two of Centers of Attention. It's Paulie, Rosie, and Danny Shays today. We can do our quick hitters, guys, if you would like. But first, I want to tell you, do a quick hitter on something that's going on Wednesday for the Louisville game. We are doing another Twitch watch party, Rosie. Uh, Lawrence Moten, who was, uh, we'll put that in the quick hitters, was just passed as the all-time leading scorer in the Big East yesterday. And uh, uh, who else we got? Oh, Eric Devendorf. Eric Devendorf will be uh, there. Yeah. And uh, if you watch, you can win free Syracuse gear from the University Sports Shop. So be sure to tune in to Twitch during the Louisville game. Get live, unfiltered analysis from our legends, Rosie Lawrence and Eric on uh, Q Sports Talk on Twitch. Guys, you want to do some quick hitters here? Let's uh, let's start with that first story. How about Lawrence Moten, the the long run is the leading scorer in the Big East and no longer. Uh, great for him. Look, a guy came in, you know, kind of an unknown, uh, dominated, uh, you know, great career here at Syracuse. Uh, 25 years, he was the all-time leading scorer in a league that had some really good scores. You know, you talk about the, you know, Chris Mullins and, you know, those kind of players coming in, Alonzo Mornings and uh, Patrick Ewings and, you know, but above them all, Lawrence Moten. So, you know, couldn't couldn't be a nicer guy, you know, such a great uh, supporter of the program, you know, forever and, 
uh, you know, just uh, you know, great in the community. Just you know, real happy for him. And again, hey, records are made to be broken, so I had a great run. Right, Marcus Howard of uh, Marquette broke his record last night. Go ahead, Rosie. You know, the 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 cool thing about it was that um, when I left in 1980, I didn't know anything about Syracuse in 1996, so I missed all the other guys. And I actually, Lawrence is the first guy when I'd retired, I came back and I was uh, sitting courtside against Georgetown watching those long high white socks drain threes and beat, you know. So Lawrence is the, the first player that I actually was able to see. All the other guys like uh, Billy Owens and uh, uh, Derek Coleman and Pearl, I actually had to come back and watch them on video. I went online and watched them play and I was like, holy smokes, these guys are good. <laughs> but Lawrence, he, he put up numbers and the thing about Lawrence was it, it almost it looked so easy. He wasn't. Uh, it looked like he wasn't even breaking a sweat when he was doing it. So, well, consistency and longevity—that was his, uh, you know, really his claim to fame. You know, he's a guy who was there uh, four years. He, you know, was was uh, you know prolific every game. You know, played hard every night. Uh, you know, really, like I said, one of the all-time good guys. And also the with the one and done rule, the guys that can fill it up like that are probably not going to be around as much you know he and troy players like he and troy bell who were high on the list they're not going to be you know their their records and the the current one might stand around for a while because the good players are, aren't going to be there for years well and marquette was it was never even a big east school in our day <laughs> right you know, you know? Uh, so it's uh you know when the guy from creighton breaks it you go uh <laughs> wait is that big east you know, it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess schools like the smaller schools may not get guys that are going to be one and done, so they do still have a, a chance at breaking those rules records. Yeah, and the big and the big Midwest just doesn't have the same kind of ring to it. <laughs> guys, uh, uh, the um, what the heck am I trying to say here? Why can't it? the coronavirus? That's the word I'm looking for. The coronavirus is uh, a big story now in Tokyo, and the IOC has said that the Olympics are on still despite the coronavirus. It's unbelievable to think of the logistical issues they're going to have to face to get people in, get them screened, get, uh, you know, make sure that it's safe for everybody. Uh, and you know, look, there have been issues in the past, maybe not as major as this. You may remember uh, in Rio, uh, in the swimming and diving, the, the pool got moldy right. and turned the water turned green, if you remember this, and then they had to figure out how to hold the swimming and diving. So they ended up switching the water from the wa- diving pool to the swimming pool uh, as they tried to pretend that it wasn't really like moldy, it was something else. And so, you know, these things happen. I mean, the logistical issues on these, gi- you know, these giant events are, are just mind-numbing. Uh, there's, uh, you know, so we're hoping the coronavirus will die down once, uh, uh, you know, people get a handle on it. But it's it's going to be an interesting thing to uh, you know deal with. There'll be some changes as as far as how the Olympics are run for sure. You know, the, the funny thing about it is uh, in 1996, that's when I was playing in uh, Santiago de Compostela when I was in Spain. So I learned Spanish and then I went to the Olympics. And just thinking about that, there there are people everywhere. There are people. There are people, and it, it, you can't find a hotel. There are people renting out people's houses. Just to think about, just to say the word virus, and me imagining when I was <laughs> over there. You, when you like in Kendall, you mentioned the virus. I like, and I, I'd be worried if it, if the, if animals could catch it because there's only animals out here. But when you talk about going to a place where. You're shoulder to shoulder with other people. Uh, whew, that makes me from everywhere, right? right. You, yeah, there's exactly. no way of knowing where where this guy came from. All right, uh, we talked about this earlier on in the show. Georgia Tech 
beats number five Louisville in the ACC last night. Yeah, I mean, again, this league is going to be so up and down. Every day you can look at the standings and go, oh, you're up two spots. Oh, you're down three spots. Uh, you know, if Syracuse loses, you know, loses the next two, they go from fourth to twelfth. Then they win a couple, they're back up to fifth. You know, so it's uh, anybody can, you know, there's no real locks. There's no, you know, I think dominant teams. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a, you know, a dogfight. Every game is going to be a dogfight the rest of the year. And just so, you know, I used, to, I used to pay attention to this, especially when I was playing on a team that wasn't as, as powerful as uh, the other teams. This time of year is that time of year when there's some team that destroys a really good team. And everybody, and everybody goes, I can't believe that happened. So when I was playing on a weaker team, I used to come in the locker room and goes, well, guys, it's our day to ruin somebody's season. It's going to happen. You watch and see. So why not let it be us? Hey, we're not the only team trying to peak at the end of the year, right? I mean, uh, believe me, the guys on the Georgia Tech talk and the Notre Dame talk shows and, and the NC State talk shows are saying, hey, we're peaking right at the right time. So, uh, you know, this is going to be, uh, you know, like I said, it's going to be a fun, uh, you know, fun finish to the season. All right, guys. And finally, Sacramento Kings, a team that doesn't get very much uh, talk anymore. Uh the owner is very frustrated. They packed, uh, passed up on some good players. They are basically unheard of now. Like I, if you had asked me if there was a team is still in Sacramento, I would not even know there was still a team and Vladi Divac in trouble there. Well, Vladi's been the long-term GM there. And, you know, th- there was a time we talked about how different cities that aren't necessarily the, the top-tier cities have their day in the sun. Cleveland with LeBron, San Antonio with David Robinson and Tim Duncan for 20 years in there. Uh, Utah uh, went through their stretch. Salt Lake of being a, a hot city. Sacramento when they had Vladi, Chris Weber, uh, Mike Bibby at the point when they were you know knocking on the door of getting to the they championship were fun. every year. They were fun to watch. And so and now the teams that are the high-profile teams, Phoenix, New York Knicks, uh, you know, the Lakers for, for what, four years in a row, they couldn't get a sniff from a free agent. Uh, you know, it really goes in cycles. Then uh, in Sacramento, the, the ownership there, uh, uh, you know, is a, is a guy from India. Uh, very dynamic, uh, you know, very hip. They've, they've really upgraded everything from their technology uh, to their fan interaction. They've, you know, they've got all these things going on. Now they just need to win some games. Uh, they blew, brought in Luke Walton, you know, a top young coach, and they just haven't been able to get over the hump. Now the flip side is his team probably went up a billion dollars since he bought it. Um, you know, the way the team franchises are going up in value. But, uh, you know, when you got four or five or six or seven bill, you know, you, you want to win. Uh, uh, go ahead, Rosie. Sorry. No, I'm just, you know, everything that Danny said is good. He, you know, he came in there, he made the program, uh, he, he, he actually added value to the team. You know, sometimes, you know, it's like those guys saying, well, we, we could have got this player. Uh, hindsight is 2020. But the, the key is that uh, the atmosphere with the, the atmosphere in the in the clubhouse is what's important because eventually, you know, what goes around comes around. They'll get better. All right, and, and like, isn't it part of maybe Vladi Divac's fault too that maybe if you realize you're in a market like this, you've got to do something to build, like the Sixers did, which was a horrible, tedious process. But now they've got two All Stars on their team. 
Well, I think you look at more like what Milwaukee did. They ended up getting a wild card in uh, in Giannis to come in, be the leader of that team. Uh, you know, he developed over a series of years. They found a guy who, of all things, wanted to be in Milwaukee, wants to build his life in Milwaukee, which is not something you hear all the time. You know, and Sacramento needs that. They need an anchor to come in and kind of be the you know the face of the franchise that you can build around right now milwaukee is a hot town everybody wants to go to milwaukee uh when do you say that with a straight face uh, throughout <laughs> right. you know, NBA history <laughs> so it just goes to show you how uh you know how teams uh, you know the players want to go where they can win it's not so much about oh i want to be in new york and go to broadway shows every night you know they want to be where they can win they're not they're not living in these cities the rest of their lives you know they want to go and and make something happen so that's the thing with sacramento they need to get over the hump Need to get a guy there who can be an anchor, maybe a young player come in and, and develop into Michael Jordan kind of thing, and uh, you know, and, and really lift the franchise up. I agree. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Rosie. <laughs> Best of the business. We will take a quick break. Come back. Maybe take your calls three one five four three seven seven six four four, and we will uh, wrap things up. Maybe look ahead to Syracuse, Florida State on ESPN Radio, Syracuse. And Q Sports Talk on Twitch. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk. And on the radio, ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. This is Centers of Attention. It is Centers of Attention, hour number two. I am Paulie with Rosie and uh, Danny. I'm losing my mind today. I can't remember anything. Need to take some ginkgo or something. We uh, have a big show coming up at the top of the hour. Alan Griffin Show will be live from Atilio's. If you'd like to go out there, uh, grab something to eat, you can check that out at noon. All right, guys, Florida State coming up this weekend. Let's do a quick hit on that before we we take a deep dive tomorrow. Uh, We all know the importance of this game, but what does Syracuse need to get out of this game more importantly than a win? Well, obviously, question mark number one is Elijah Hughes in or out, and if he is in, at what level is he in? So that, I think, colors any conversation you have about this game. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're playing a, a patchwork lineup. It's going to be interesting to watch, right? Do they start Buddy at the three, or, or, or do they, you know, if Elijah is out, they start Buddy at the three, or do they bring in uh, Quincy Guerrier at the, uh, and, and move Marek Dolajai to the three? That's obviously issue number one. And then, uh, you know, we have a few more guards, uh, you know, in the bullpen than we have big. So, uh, you know, depending on uh, Bryson Goodine, uh, Howard Washington, the, what minutes are those guys going to get? Uh, you know, so there's just, again, a lot of question marks. Uh, and until you answer the Elijah Hughes question, you know, really don't know. This is a team that's, that's gritty, scrappy. Uh, and for them to have a chance, they have to just play. Uh, you know, almost throw the playbook out the window and just win with, you know, with energy and effort. And, uh, you know, three-pointer is going to be a big deal. They have not shot the ball well from out. Uh, so, you know, I think if you look at some of the kind of the basics, Big's playing without foul trouble because now you're really bare uh, on the bench. So, uh, you know, a couple of those basic things are going to be critical going into that game. Well, you know, just uh, thinking about a couple of things is the other team figuring out what Syracuse is going to do. For for one, Syracuse now it's not a surprise. They're going to be practicing. They're going to be practicing some practicing some other options. So that's that's pretty cool. So guys are going to know ahead of time that there's going to be an opportunity for them to get good minutes. So everybody's going to be paying really really close attention to what's going on on the floor. Um, uh, another thing about uh, Danny, you, you mentioned uh, three point shooting. Have a shot well, well. I am a firm believer in the law of averages dictates. These guys are good shooters. They haven't shot well for a bunch of games. Hold on to your booty because they're going to be dropping some. 
I don't even know what that means. It means like take two hands and hold on to your hind end. It's good. Uh, how about let me let me change it up? Uh, uh, how about put on a seatbelt? So All right, it's going to be go. a fun ride. There we go. I understood that one a little bit better. All right, we'll be back with more centers of attention tomorrow. Seth Everett will be back for hour one. Myself, Rosie, and Danny for hour two. You guys have a good day. The Alan Griffin Show live from Atelios is up next on Q Sports Talk on Twitch and ESPN Radio Syracuse.